I've shared this story with you before, but it's, it's, uh, it's too good. So um, 10 years ago, uh, there was uh, Pastor David Midwood was uh, serving in the life of this church, and a parishioner came up to him after service and said, Pastor David, when you preach, God has been using it so powerfully, prophetically in my life. And I just wanted to let you know. He said, two weeks ago, you were preaching about how the disciples' world had just been shaken, and sometimes God just shakes our world. And I had a deep sense when you were preaching that God was about to shake my world. He said, two hours after service, sure enough, he got information that it, like a, a very major life-changing uh, thing was happening, a challenge that he was facing in his life. He said, then last week you were preaching about how conflict is inevitable, and I had this sense that I'd be facing conflict. Three days later, uh, I, the, this legal custody battle that he was going through really kicked up, and just God was preparing his heart for that. He said, I just want you to know that these, these are huge things, and when you preach, God is using it very specifically in my life. What are you preaching next week? And Midwood said, I'm preaching about the Ethiopian eunuch. Be very, very careful this week. <laughs> when I shared that story about five years ago, I didn't know who the person was. The person actually came up to me and said, that's my story. He's like, that's true. You said it just the way it happened. I'm like, well, that's how Midwood told me. And we've reconnected uh, this week. We reconnected over that and uh, smiled. And, um, but we are going to consider again today how this man, this African official, came to faith in Jesus. And this whole sermon series, this great opportunity, has really been about how we're not just considering our own spiritual journey. We're doing that. But we're considering our own spiritual journey. But we're considering the spiritual journey of other people, other people around us in our everyday lives, and how those journeys may actually intersect, how God might use us. And, and maybe we see somebody come to faith. Here we see this man come to faith, and it's just, it's just the most unlikely thing to happen. It's, just this, it's a really a miraculous kind of story. But whenever anybody comes to faith, it's a miracle that, that I came to faith and that God has revealed his goodness to me and that I've come to understand the good news of Jesus. That's a miracle. Uh, for you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a miracle. You've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. You've gone from separation from God to a, a deep and vital connection to the God of the universe. That's a miracle. Or maybe you're, today you're a miracle just waiting to happen if you're still kind of exploring faith. So maybe today you resonate with the story of Philip who God calls to uh, come alongside this man and help him to understand um, the good news of Jesus. And really, could be, could be any of us called to walk alongside someone else and be part of their journey. But maybe today you might resonate with this African man. He it was just coming from an experience of, of worship that was perhaps uh, disappointing. He seems confused. He doesn't understand these things of faith. Maybe even a negative experience of, of worship. And so we'll, we'll take a look at that. But maybe that resonates more with you today. Um, but man, there's a lot of people like this African man in our world, you know, people who have um, sort of tried it, you know, have not found the answers they're looking for, uh, but are still spiritually hungry and still very spiritually lost. And um, God desires to, to find them and to draw them to himself. So let us pray as we explore this. Father, as we 
As we look into your word, as always, we pray that you would be our teacher, that you would show us what you need us to see right now. Father, break through whatever misconceptions we might be holding, whatever lies that we believe, and that we would pray in this time that your truth would speak the loudest and that we would respond in faith to whatever you're showing us. We commit ourselves to you and we commit this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to point out three dynamics, three spiritual dynamics uh, that are going on here as this man comes to faith in Jesus. The first dynamic is that you'll never find satisfaction apart from Jesus. This man is on some kind of spiritual quest. If he's from the, the region of Ethiopia or the southern region of the Nile River, he's, he's maybe a thousand miles away from home to travel to Jerusalem. Why to take this huge journey to worship at the temple of the God of Israel? It's a very dangerous trip. Um, this is, but he's an important man, we know, because he was, uh, he was a eunuch. At a certain point, when you work for the queen, you get to a a very high level that you undergo male castration, essentially, so that there's no, uh, un, uh, there's no bad relationship towards the queen. You can get very close to the family uh, to get into that close to the inner workings of this whole nation, really in charge of the entire treasury of a nation. Um, so he is really, from a career perspective, has made huge commitment. And, and very successful, and yet there's longing in this man. There's some sort of empty, emptiness. The money and the power that he had was not enough. Whatever spiritual answers, the religious practices of Ethiopia or the, the spiritual answers of his day weren't cutting it for him. So he decides to go to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, I don't know what this man was expecting to find there. But he is a foreigner, and he is a eunuch, so he's been altered sexually in a way that means he can't enter into the courts of this temple. He's stopped at the outer court at the gate. Because of his physical situation and because he's a foreigner, he's not allowed in. He is rejected at the temple of God. And now he's on his ride home. He's got his scroll. He's trying to figure out what did he miss? What is going on here? And, um, you know, if this is clearly an important man. He's the CFO of, the, of a nation. He is powerful and influential. He can read. He's educated. He's got his own scrolls. He's got his own chariot. He's clearly got wealth, um, but not satisfied by any of these things. And his quest brings him to the temple. He's rejected there. You know, there are a lot of things that you can pursue in life for fulfillment. Many people, perhaps like this man, you make great sacrifices to advance in your career, to get to the highest point of influence and power in your company or uh, in your community, and that didn't satisfy all his needs. There's also a lot of spiritual and religious things that you could try, ways of of meditating or finding enlightenment or things that may feel good, but ultimately they will all fall short and leave, with, apart from Jesus, it will leave you very empty. And that's where this story 
starts with just a, an unmet longing. This is where everybody starts, at a point of need, at a point of not finding satisfaction apart from Jesus. So that's the first dynamic, is that you'll never find satisfaction apart from Jesus. The second dynamic is that you'll never find Jesus apart from the Christian community. That God uses his people, the people of faith, to show the world who God is. Now, God is clearly at work here. God is the one in control. I mean, an angel tells Philip to go south down the road. The Holy Spirit prompts Philip to go to this chariot. The Spirit then takes Philip away from the place. I mean, this is God in control, but God's design is that his people are involved in the process of other people coming to faith. I know two people in my life who they came to faith just by reading the Bible, just by reading the New Testament. They read through, they said, this is true, I believe, and they put their faith in Jesus in that moment. But even those two people would admit that there was other people praying for them, the people encouraging them to read the Bible. They weren't truly just alone with the Bible, that God um, calls his people to be part of this process. This is very important, especially in our world, in our day, in this place and time. Because fewer and fewer people are actually reading the Bible. Uh, Less people than ever are attending church services where they might hear God's word proclaimed. We live in a culture that sees faith as a very private and individualistic kind of a thing. But God's design, again, is that his people are sharing the good news. Uh, I want to share this uh, chart with you. So if you could put that up on the screen. There's, this is Barna's research from 2019. So this is just before the pandemic. So this is the top 10 most post-Christian cities in America. And by post-Christian, that means people who don't go to church, don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't have faith in Jesus. And it's a, it's a fairly comprehensive study. And um, I don't think I've shared this one with you before, but I've shared a similar one. So post-Christian... The number one most post-Christian is the region of what they call Springfield, Holyoke, Mass., just to our west. Number two, Portland, Auburn, Maine, just to our north. Number three, Providence, Rhode Island, New Bedford, just to the south. Burlington, Vermont, we love to visit. And number five, there we are, the region represented by Boston to Manchester, New Hampshire, of which if you put a dot in between those two cities, it's here, this building. Like, we're right in the middle. Um, Number five. So the top eight are all in New England, you'll see, and then a couple West Coasters to round out the top ten out of a hundred regions. And the reason I share this with you is to say we live in a region that's particularly void of, of what I would call gospel witness, or there's not a lot of sharing of the good news by people gathering in churches and by reading the Bible on their own. They just don't do that in our region like they might in other parts of the country. Oh, you can take that down. But this is, this is why it's important, because God is going to have to bring people to walk alongside others to, to bring this good news of, of, of God's, the good news of Jesus, of God's work in this world. Um, so look at how Philip does this. So we see in verse 29 here that the Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Stay near it. Why do you have to stay near it? You need to stay near it because it's moving. Um, So Philip runs, verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's running up. That sounds like Isaiah. Hey, you reading the Bible? 
Do you understand that? What's going on there? He doesn't even get invited into the chariot until verse 31. This is how God brings these. This is a surprising get-together here. We have a wealthy black CFO of his country and a middle-class Jewish man. So the one man is sexually altered, racially different, wealthy, and God just brings them together. And look at verse 30. So Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And here's our key verse, 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me, so he invites Philip to come up into the chariot and sit with him. How can I understand unless somebody tells me that is the world in which we live? We need the Christian community. We need one another, especially if, if you are a person or if you know people who have tried it, you know, who've been to a Christian church of some sort, and they had a bad experience of the Christian community. They felt rejected by the Christian community or had a negative spiritual experience or felt guilt or shame or some way or another. Um, but we, we need each other to really understand God's work. That's why we gather in small groups. Small groups are one of the best ways that we as a church help each other along the journey of faith, where we open the Bible together. Do we understand what we're reading? And we help each other understand God's word. And we answer questions, and we talk about how God is working in our lives, and we learn from one another, and God uses that to grow faith. And so maybe you need that in your life, and I'd encourage you to check out and find a small group, talk to Pastor Dan. But maybe you're a Philip where God's calling you to show someone else the, the truth and point them to what is true. And again, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand how to lead somebody to Jesus through the prophet Isaiah. But you do need to be willing to trust God's leading to the people who he's called you to walk alongside, um, to express your faith, to share your story, and then just to invite people. Hey, come check it out. Because God's in control of this whole thing. And so, but you, he wants to use us. You'll, you'll never find Jesus apart from that community, the Christian community, God's people bringing it. So the third, that leads us to the third dynamic here. So, again, you'll never find satisfaction apart from Jesus. You'll never find Jesus apart from the community. But lastly, anyone can find Jesus because the gospel is for everyone. So let's back into our account here. So this Man, this Ethiopian man is reading Isaiah 53 about this suffering servant. But why was a foreign eunuch so interested in Isaiah 53 in his scroll? Well, if you've ever used a scroll or seen someone use a scroll, even in modern day, it's, you don't just flip through it like a book, right? You have to literally you know, roll it to the right, a little bit to the left. It's hard to just rewind the whole thing. It's a lot of... And Isaiah is a pretty long scroll. So he's he's in the 50s. He's in the Isaiah 50s. Here, Isaiah 53. But if you roll a little bit forward to Isaiah 56, we can see why this man might be so fascinated. Look at this. Isaiah 56.3 says this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, 
who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within, within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So here we have a foreigner and a eunuch who's reading these words that say, me, as a God, I will not reject a foreigner. And if you're a eunuch, then you've got a place within my temple. And you wonder why this man went a thousand miles to go to this temple. You know, I'm, I'm not a, just a dry tree. You're gonna, th- this is someone who could have, who's, because of his sacrifices and because of his job, could never have a family. And the God of Israel says, you're going to get something that's better than a family, better than sons, better than daughters, um, I'm going to give you a whole new life, a whole new name. And so, so he's looking at this scroll, and he comes to this part about this suffering servant. You know, what does it all mean now? You know, I'm not a dried tree. I'm not an outcast. I mean, who is this mysterious servant that I'm reading about, the one who will carry our sins and sorrows? You know, he's the one stricken by God. He's uh, like a a lamb led to the slaughter, and it's by his wounds that we're going to receive healing. Who is that? And here's Philip. Can I tell you about Jesus? He's the one. He's the servant of God who came, who took all of our sin and all of our brokenness on himself. It's by his wounds, his death on the cross, that we receive new life forgiveness, and healing. That in Jesus, we get a new name, a new identity as loved by God, as child of God, and you receive new, abundant, and eternal life. And you just see this man who had thought he was so close, thought he found the answer, and, he, and it was God bringing Philip there to tell him about Jesus. This man comes to faith in Jesus. You can find Jesus today the same way. He, he knocks on the door of your heart. He's, he's looking for you. He wants your heart. And if, if you respond in faith, it's for this truth and this new life is for you as well. Because the gospel is for everyone. No one has better access to the gospel than, than anyone else in terms of your ability to receive it. Nobody has special standing. Nobody's lived such a good life that God is, is uh, that they are extra deserving by God to receive this good news. The gospel is that we could not find God, but that God in Christ came to us to find us, to save us. And God is pursuing broken people, outcasts, sinners. And I'll point out here, there's no favored people, but there's no favored race either. Right? Here's a black African uh, and any racial or ethnic uh, walls get knocked down by the gospel. God's people, as described in Revelation 7, when, when God's people are all brought together, it's every tongue, it's every tribe, it's every nation. The good news of the gospel breaks down those barriers. Therefore, racism is evil. Race, race-based hatred is evil, and it's antithetical to the good news of Jesus. Um, race-based hatred and violence, like what we've what we witnessed in the news and recently in Buffalo. This is running counter to the way of God in this world. 
This whole notion, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion, religion, that's ridiculous. My friend a few weeks ago, you know, the Bible was written by a bunch of white men. I mean, Christianity doesn't belong to one race or one culture, which makes it very unique in terms of faith systems and world religions. Think about this. Most world religions still have their center in the culture and in the geographic area where they were founded. So, for example, 96% of Muslims in the world live in the Middle East or near around the Middle East. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. 94% of Hindus live in India, in the culture and in the geography where it started. Christianity began in the Middle East. And yet, today that region of all the major regions of the world has the lowest concentration of Christians, just 4% in that region. So what culture gets Christianity? Well, 26% of Christians live in Europe. 25% live in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, 24% live in sub-Saharan Africa. So about a quarter in Europe quarter in Central and South America, quarter in Africa. Uh, Significant numbers of Christians live in Asia, 13%. And only 12% of the world's Christians live in North America. It's, It's not for one culture. It's for all people everywhere. My point is that the gospel is for everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of your culture, that the God of the universe is reaching out with his people all over the world. And people come to faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and the grace and the new life that comes from that. And this man, very unlikely, God brings Philip along. They go for a chariot ride. He comes to understand Jesus, and he puts his faith in him. So what's the next step for us? Well, for this man, his next step was baptism. So they're in the chariot. They see water. He said, hey, is there anything to stop me from being baptized today? They stop the chariot. Philip gets out, and this man is baptized. For you, if you are, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you would like to be baptized, I will baptize you today at 1.30. It's not going to go till 3.30, by the way. 1.30, First Calvary Baptist Church. And talk to me after the service, and we can see if this is an appropriate next step for you. But I will do that today for you. I had the office print me two extra baptism certificates that are blank, and I will write your name on it today, and I'll baptize you. The water's ready. It's there. Sometimes you just got to pull over the chariot and get baptized. So we're going to do that today. If, if, you would, if you're interested in that, talk to me, um, and I'll meet you over there at 1.30 today. Um, for, other, for others of us, I, it's just a matter of us realizing who God has called us to run alongside. I encourage you to use the prayer map card. I think those are still in the pews, some in the rotunda, um, you know, to pray for people. But remember, when we pray for people, it's not about, you know, forcing God's work. I talked to somebody this week who said, you know, I, was, I wrote some names down on my prayer map. I started praying, and God didn't do anything. And I'm angry, and I was angry at God, so I stopped praying for them. Then what was the next thing that happened? God opened up doors. When we, when we pray for people, it's not about us Um, trying to get God to do our will. It's about us aligning ourselves with what God's already doing 
in those people's lives and praying God's blessing over them and that we just recognizing that God may be calling us to walk alongside them. And then when we do, we just share. We share our lives. We share our uh, faith. We share an invitation. Hey, come to a men's breakfast with me. Come to a worship service. Come and see what God is doing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for every good opportunity you put before us. We thank you for all the people in our lives who you've called us to walk alongside. And we thank you for those who have walked alongside us on our journey. We give you all the glory for that because this is your way and your design. Lord, we thank you that your good news is good news for everyone in this world. That your kingdom transcends culture. Um, It transcends race and ethnicity. It's, It's truly for the world, Lord. But in our world, in our day, we pray that you'd be glorified. We we pray that we'd see more people um, who are seeking you, who who are asking questions, who are, uh, even people who are confused or even people who've been hurt, Lord, that they might come to find healing and hope and wholeness in you, Lord. Be glorified in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.